BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What is it you believe Ian Gary should do to get the topic off of a book that was written and sold on Amazon 10 years ago and back on to a fight with Vincent Luque, which you never wanted in the first place. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all have had a great week. I hope you're tagging me on Spotify Wrapped, by the way. I'm trusting that you know what Spotify Wrapped is, particularly if you listen to me. I basically I basically am to thank for it. I really enjoy looking at all of those. And you know what, guys? Coming up on today's show, I'm going to get into Patty the Batty versus Tony Ferguson. I'm going to get into Dana White's comments on the reported buys for Logan Paul versus Dylan Dennis and so much more. There's also been a lot of drama surrounding Ian Gary this week. I'd like to defend him, and I'd like to start with that. Guys, I am not only audited. I am publicly audited. I mean, that's one of the things on being on YouTube. You you don't get to come out and make a claim that you're a bigger or more loved show than Uncle Chael. You don't you don't get to do that because the numbers are there for everybody to see and they're not possible to manipulate. Now, that's an interesting fact. It's a very interesting detail because we got a great card coming up in Texas this Saturday. I mean, it essentially had two main events. The co-main event, which featured Dan Hooker who everybody in this program, we love Dan Hooker over here, though not a title fight, was made into a five-rounder. So, so you had your main event, which is a title fight, so that's built in five rounds because it's main event. They made the co-main event featuring Hooker versus Bobby Green. That would have been one of the great matches. My only point to you is that is days away. That's a red-hot topic. We have PFL and Bellator. Becoming one. 
that that's a huge topic. And nothing that I have spoke about over here has come remotely close this week to Sean Strickland making a selfie video in his pickup as he's driving down the road about Ian Gary and a book that Ian's wife wrote and published 10 years ago on Amazon. Like, I, nothing will even touch that. It has been the unexpected topic of the week. It's turning into the unexpected successful topic of the month. And what should Ian Gary do? What should Ian Gary do? Now, I'll, I'll tell you what he's going to do. And it's only, it's only a question in a matter of how long is he going to do this for, which is to say it's not accurate and attempt to tell the side that is accurate. He, he's only going to do, and let's say it's completely inaccurate. Just for example, just for example, it's completely inaccurate. So he comes out and he's telling the truth. Okay, great. That isn't going to work. Now, let's say that it is accurate, but he's got a little bit of a different spin and a little different flavor on it. So he's going to come out and he's going to tell that as a way of stopping the freight train that is the narrative. That, too, is not going to work. So being his first time in a storm, he's not going to know these things. This is what he's going to do, for sure. He is either going, either going to try to correct what is not accurate or he's going to deny an attempt to defer. For sure. For a period of time, neither of which are going to work. And in a, a very reasonable scenario, will make things worse. So what is it that he should do? Not what is it he doing? What is it that he should do? And it's one of these situations where as badly as you would like the truth to be on your side or you would like the truth to set you free. And you've been told that and your teachers told you and your parents told you and really good people have told you the truth will always come out. The truth is simply a lie that has been told enough times. It is many times and often that the perpetrator, that the wrong part of the one is not being honest, will cover the spread, cover the ground, and get his message out. His untrue message will often win in terms of prevailing, in terms of public opinion, who's heard what and what they believe. People will often believe the very first thing that they hear, which is why it's so difficult. If you have a perpetrator, if you have somebody that came out and they came out to slander you, right? And you've all felt this to some degree. Maybe you've done it to somebody. Maybe you had it done to you and maybe it was way back in the seventh grade. But boy, that went through that classroom fast. When you thought you controlled it in that classroom, by the time you go out to lunch, all the other classrooms have now heard about it too. And you just you can't believe, how did that go so fast? And it's not accurate and here's why. But you never can quite put that toothpaste back in the tube. So what is it that you do? And I know that Ian's wife has attempted to defend it to a degree where she's come out and said the book was satire and it was comical and not to be taken serious, which might be exactly what it is. I'm just sharing for you that hasn't worked and that's not going to work. And if she comes out in any degree as a defense of her top-ranked, undefeated, cage 
fighting aspiring champion husband it's going to be one of those things that's just going to be hard to be one of those things that's very very difficult to do i know the press conference is likely to be very difficult on ian if he plans to take the stance of leveling with you the audience of leveling with you all right guys look Here's what happened. Let's get this out. Throw it every, but let me level with you. Things are going to be very hard at that point, regardless of what that answer is, whether it makes sense, whether it's logical, whether it's the absolute truth and people that just want to keep this going, tell them that it's not true. It's one of those spots. It's one of those eight mile Eminem moments where when Eminem takes the microphone and he's about to do a shoot rap, but he goes first and he spends those seconds destroying himself, leaving the opponent with no ammunition. It's, it's, it's one of those things. And I've seen guys attempt from a PR perspective, while that's a very effective strategy, it's called leaning into it. While it's a very effective strategy to go with it and go hard, there's still a presentation that ha has to be done with. If you think you're just going to go make fun of yourself, you will be right that they'll stop. That's true. You, you will have taken their ammunition away. But if you want to go out there and steer into it by telling the truth and telling it before anybody else does, and you don't do it in a cool way, you haven't gained any ground. It's not just a matter of making them stop. It's making them stop while you come out looking in a certain way. And that is where the art and the dance comes. And it's, it's, it's definitely one of those difficult situations. So you could go with it. You could tell the truth. You could get to the press conference. You could lead it into the press conference days before. You get in front of it like many politicians and, and make one statement and then say, I will never speak of this again. And when the very next question comes, you go, I, I've said, I will never speak of this again. And the next question comes, you say, I've said, I'll never speak of this again. You hit three or four of those and they'll move on. They have to move on. They have to get content. Like there, there is a way to do it. What would that be? How far could that gimmick go? She's already spoken up and she's tried to come to his aid. Which when he's the ranked undefeated cage fighter, it's to have some it's it's one of these spots. But that's out there. Should he continue with that? Should she sit next to him at the press conference? Should he have a cell phone that's live and every question he gets, he and he picks up the phone and says, Hey babe, what should I say? And then she feeds him the light and, and he puts it out. What is it that they should do to be able to move on from the point they are in. And I will tell you, there was times in my career where I needed a reaction. I had the courage, I had the skills. That took you a long way at one point. You you had guys that just they didn't have the courage to step in there with so-and-so because he was ranked so high. I'll fight him. Any weight class, any night, it, tomorrow, a week, um, anyone you want. I had that courage but I couldn't get the reaction from them. I needed them to respond. When I came out in the media and I told them these things, that was very interesting. If I could get that higher rank guy to respond and nothing got them to respond more often and more of a guaranteed response than something they deemed to not be true. 
So it's it's one of those interesting situations where they're going to stay on this, and the fellow fighters are going to poke, and wherever this is going, this this is going to go. Or you pull the manual out yourself. You start to read it yourself, and you say, well, it's interesting that you bring it up considering she wrote chapter six about you, and here's what she had to say about you, which you've 100% fabricated on the spot, but you've now given them a crown bust. The same thing that they're doing this to you. They're not doing it to you because it's factual. They're not doing it to you because it's been proven. They're not doing it to you because they were there and they actually know. They're doing it to you to embarrass you, which is what you would achieve by telling them that chapter six is actually written about you. And let's read this out loud for the audience. And you, and you begin firing back. It's, it's one of those situations. How do you get them to stop? How do you get them to deflect? How do you get them to move on? How do you do those things? We, we, you had this wonderful narrative of Leon and Gary, and they got kicked out of the gym, and it was real life. And, and you're building towards something good, which was a really special moment. Because the, the most uninteresting thing in all of Ian Gary's life happens to be the most uninteresting thing in Luke's life as well, which is they're fighting each other. There is no headlines, and there's nothing you can do with these two fighting one another. And they don't want it to happen. They're friends, and they were teammates, and it was this whole... But fortunately, the day was saved because Ian Gary, who went to a new gym, which right, right in of itself, I mean, are you hearing the problem? Gary can't speak about Luke and Luke can't speak about Gary because they're teammates. Meanwhile, Ian's at a different gym. Do you know what teammate means? I mean, do, do you see the problem right from Jump Street? But this is the way that they're going to choose to tell it. There's nothing you can do, but you can at least get the headline. You can bring something interesting in. And at the bottom, you can tag it live on pay-per-view Saturday night, right? It's, it's one of these things. Luke couldn't get that. Luke couldn't get an interview doing anything interesting at all. You have not seen a Luke interview, and you haven't seen a Gary interview that has to do with Luke, but at least you got the Gary interview, and you can swerve him at the end and bring it back to Luke. That couldn't draw. The unexpected draw of the week and of the month with the numbers right there to be audited for public view turns out to be Sean Strickland's comments on Ian Gary of which Ian is yet to respond and to address, whether that's to call Sean out or call the issue out, with the hopes that it will go away. Ignore them and they'll stop. There's some truth to that. There is definitely some truth to that. What is it you believe Ian Gary should do to get the topic off of a book that was written and sold on Amazon 10 years ago and back on to a fight with Vincent Luque, which he never wanted in the first place. You want to know what I've never been satisfied with? What gym does Ian Gary belong and Ian seems to be this hot topic right now, maybe for the right reasons, maybe the wrong. Maybe it's because Sean Strickland's been going after him and there's a book written on Amazon. But the bottom line is he's meaningful, he's interesting, he's young, he's handsome, he's successful, he's undefeated. There's a lot of boxes about Ian Gary that if you go through and check, it feels as though he's going to be around a while. So if I'm going to be discussing him, I would need to know some of the most basic things, such as what gym are you at? And there's part there that, that just conflict for me. Like, for example, I thought he was SBG in Ireland. 
And I thought that because of how proud he was of his Irish heritage and because of the homage that he paid to Conor McGregor. It turns out I was wrong. And I'm still not clear of, was I ever right? Like, did, did he originally start there? I, I don't know. Part of that story somewhere either got told to me wrong or I made assumptions, got wrong in the first place. Find out he's out at Sanford MMA, which is just a who's who. And Sanford MMA is, 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 is such an incredible who's who. To put a perspective, just at 170 pounds, it just off the top of my head. But you got Gilbert Burns. You got Ian Gary. You got Rachmanov. Kamara Usman. Blahal Mohammed. Yeah, the 70-pound champ uh, from Bellator Jackson. I mean, this is, this is just at 170 pounds, just right there. And I'm stalling because I know that I've left a name off. But I've still succeeded in proving my point that this is a, a massively deep and... Luke, there you go. Massively deep and tough room. Just to emerge, just to be the guy within that room would make you one of the, the baddest dudes on the planet. There'd be cities and states and even nations you could go to where you could beat everybody. But not, not that one room each day at three, got four or five guys that you can't get over on. It's a really interesting situation. I like stories like that. Like if I had any regrets of my time with Team Quest, I only have one, which is I wish I would have videoed it. I wish I would have documented it. And I had those ideas and I had those fantasies back then. Like the world was a very different place. Now to have a video of something that doesn't impress any of you because you all write on your cell phone, have the ability to make a video. Like there's nothing to it. In the 90s and the early 2000s, when Team Quest was really at its height, that wasn't true. I believe, top of my head, but I believe the iPhone came out in 2008. So I mean, just to put this in perspective for you, I'm talking about a decade before that, having and having captured some very incredible things on moment. And we had Randy Couture and Evan Tanner and Dan Henderson and Matt Lebanon and Chris Lebanon and Nate Quarry. And then we, we coming in from out of town, from Boss Root and uh, Rico Rodriguez to, to BJ Penn, right? I mean, this is just off the top of my head. This was an absolute who's who, and I could have captured it and I could have had it. And it'd be something very special, and I think that you would like to see it. And I feel the same about Sanford MMA as it is right now. Like, it, it is such an incredible gym. And it's very rare that two teammates get asked to fight each other. The narrative has existed. If you fight anybody, you don't pick your bones. I don't care if your teammates are not. Like, I, I know that you can find those dialogues out there where you actually had two guys, not where they were booked, not where they were, where they were head to head. And then how did they handle it? Even backing up a step from that, where the matchmaker proposed the fight, not out to the media, to the two guys, called you, called you, knowing your teammates, where it was even suggested. I mean, it's, it's an extremely rare thing. So when Luke and Ian Gary got booked, that match has a real significance. In fact, it is the most significant match of Gary's career up until this point. And there is some question marks, and this is, this is a bump that he has got to get around. And while Luke is higher... 
and has had more matches and more finishes and all these beautiful things, you do have Gary, who's younger, which is a positive in this sport, we're told. And he's also got a perfect record, which is a positive in any sport, we can all agree. So now you have the teammate versus teammate. Well, let's dig into this. These two made it clear from the beginning. They were very honest. And it turns out they were men of their word. They kept to it. They are going to give us no reason to watch this fight. But, but I mean, they told us this from the beginning. That this will not be fight promotion. It will be demotion. We don't want to fight. We're willing to fight. I mean, it's one of these things. They told us from the jump. And they told the truth. They, they have stunk it up to epic proportions in making anybody discuss their fight. They were men of their words. But we were going to be able to do it without them. We were going to be able to tell the story without them because the coach is going to have to stand in one corner or the coach can go to a neutral corner and sit this one out, which is what an ethical and honest coach would do. The coach had two athletes and they found each other. He would go sit in the stands with his mouth shut. But that's not what happened here. Great. What's his name and how did he make his decision? What is his story with you and his story with you? How did we come to this conclusion? Was there a coin flip? Was there a conversation had? Or was it well known by everybody? He goes this way and you go this way. Like We'll, we'll make a story of it. Luke and Gary told us from the beginning they were not going to make it, but we don't need them to because we've got these pieces. Well, that was never told. We don't know. And what about practice times? Do you practice at the same time? Did you switch times in the gym? Because if you switched times in the gym, now you're talking about partners coming into this new made-up time, and you're talking about a coach that's going to come in to run the practice. Well, who are those partners that are now helping you to get ready to take on your own teammate? And who is the coach who's got this new practice time to come in and help you to get ready to take on the teammate? These things are very interesting. And they're going to be the only part of the story that we have. And we don't have them for us. We go out and we find these things to help to serve these guys. To make an interest so that people will tune in and care about their fight. which is. One of the hardest things in the world to get anybody to do. One of these guys has done that very quickly. One of these guys has never done that ever. So you got one of these spots where, where when you're digging in and asking these tough questions like I'm doing right now, but I'm doing it to serve them. We're, we're going we're to get to the bottom of something. And we're going to find out something compelling. But before we could get to that, we find out that Gary was not only at a different gym, he was at a different gym in a different country. So he didn't just stumble into it. He wasn't just in town for an autograph session and he, he went and found a workout. He made plans. There was logistics. There was expense for him to go here to train at this gym, which would be contrary to what you would do if you were a member of a different gym. So I just like the drama. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of the drama. If he's at the gym in England to get kicked out of in the first place, but he only went to the English gym because he left the Sanford gym because he didn't feel he could get what he needed to beat his very teammate, it doesn't seem logical that he could return to that gym. It would seem like even intrinsically, whatever it was that was there that made him think, I got to go, this place has the answers. 
intrinsically that would stop him from coming back. But then moreover, would the door be open? Can you come back? Hey, you went, you went over there. You didn't trust us. You didn't think we trusted you. You didn't have our best interests in mind. You thought we didn't have your best interests. Like whatever that is, it feels like there would be a little bit of a push and pull. And Brendan Allen was speaking on it. Brendan stayed very neutral. I felt I felt like Brendan stayed a real gentleman. But it turns out that Brendan Allen also trains at this gym. And he said that Gary's a very nice guy. But Brendan made the comment that there's some concessions that you're going to have to make and things you're going to have to put up with that not everybody is willing to, which is Gary films everything. Every practice, everywhere he goes, he's got somebody that is filming and documenting that. I can see where that would be intrusive. I can. I can see where if you were one of the teammates where that would become a nuisance. But I will tell you, if I have any regret of my time with Team Quest, it's that I didn't film it. It's that I didn't document it. It's that I have all these incredible stories about what would happen of this guy versus this guy. And I saw it. And what little things I did film. What few cameras and takes I did have, I don't ever talk about because it was a training room and it's just not something you do, right? It's one, it's one of these real catch-22s. And as this fight approaches, I can't blame Luke or Gary. Uh, they told us from the beginning that they weren't going to promote this fight. It is not one that either of them asked for or even wanted. They And they've stuck to their word. Boy, I got to tell you, I can't call either one of them a liar. They told us they were going to stink it up, and boy, have they ever proven themselves to be true. But we could still help them. We could still grab it, and we could do something. And the starting point for the drama, the jumping-off point, is the gym. And not only do I not have that answer, that was at the time, but now we're in between time. Where did Gary go when he was kicked out of the English gym? Did he return to Sanford? Was he welcome? I would just be curious on how that worked. That's it. I'm just curious. And if he didn't return there, and I don't believe he did, where did he go? I would also, on a personal note, be curious if any of you have the answer. versus Patty. You know, th this is getting interesting uh, with each day. It's getting more interesting. Let's start at the beginning. When Tony versus Patty, and I'm telling you how you felt, but I'm reminding you of how you felt. When Tony versus Patty was announced, you didn't like it. You didn't like the match. You didn't love that Tony was being rebooked. You didn't see an upside for Patty. And when I'm telling you how you felt, I did too. I felt at least two of those three narratives, but those were the only three narratives. And then we find out that it is a feature bout. I mean, the only thing after this on this pay-per-view in terms of card placement are title fights. It, it, it's a main event if you're not counting title fights of a pay-per-view, like it's a big deal. That's a really big spot. And somebody's career, they all look the same. You break into the business. 
on the undercard. Very rare you'll break into a main card, right? You break it on the undercard, broad stroke. Work your way to a main card. Do your best to work your way to a main event, which generally does not happen, but that's the order you're working in. However long you stay there, no matter how great you are, you then start to work your way back down. And once you work your way off of TV after being on, and you work your way onto the undercard, you are now at any point one defeat from being out of the business. And if, you're, if your name isn't George Saint-Pierre, almost everybody that's ever come in the sport and then left the sport, it sounds a lot like what I just described. Tony has came in second in his last six, but he's still on the main card. I mean, it's it's very relevant. I, I think Tony's going to put up a good fight. If Tony puts up a, a really good fight and he's on the main card, historically speaking, a guy with seven straight losses doesn't stay around. I do understand that. But historically speaking, a guy that's on a feature match of a pay-per-view, regardless of outcome, is not just out of the company as a whole. Do what you want with that thought. Because while we had that as a community, after a few days... It made a little bit more sense. And then after a few interviews by both guys, by both Tony and Patty, all of a sudden, we're in. And I'm liking this match more and more. And I like it from a perspective that I think Tony can win that fight. I think if you look at Tony's last six losses and you hear he lost six fights without knowing anything else, your jaw drops. But... If you were to look at that, again, not, know, not knowing Tony, you just get this information. I just come and bring you information that a guy has lost six in a row. And he hasn't been released. He's still around. And then I inform you that guy is a feature match of an upcoming pay-per-view. I don't think you're going to be able to reconcile those. It would almost be like an oxymoron. To have a guy that's 0-6 in his last six on a featured match of a pay-per-view. Well, why, why is Tony in that spot? Just out of respect? Or if you look a little closer at those six fights that he lost, it was Murderer's Row. It's all Tony has done is Murderer's Row. So even if he's not in a spot to have a number one ranking like he used to have, or to be in title fights like he used to do, even if he's not there, where is he? It's very hard to know. You could have a situation like Tony Ferguson's where you've lost six fights in a row and you're the number seven guy in the world. And I'm not demanding for you that you accept that Tony's number seven. I'm just making a suggestion to you that this is a very unusual circumstance. And if Patty is going to beat him, how? You always run into that. Well, he's going to be, how? How is he going to beat him? And Tony against Bobby Green, one thing that was very clear was Tony's reaction to the strikes are greater now than they used to be. I, I heard a number of people say that Tony is more hittable now than he used to be. That is not what I saw. While it might be true, I, that's not what I saw. Tony Ferguson has always been punched in the face. Right there, square, it's boom, boom, boom. Everybody does that to him. His reaction... My Bobby's punches was different, right? To, to go down or to slow down or to have that affect the fight as opposed to just something that happens as Tony's coming at you. I agree to that statement. But Patty isn't the striker of, say, a Bobby Green. It's not the striker of a Charles Alvera. I don't think. Do you? 
I don't see him that way, do you? And if Tony has slowed down, I mean, let, let's just let's just accept that real fast. He was still a national champion in wrestling, and you you have Patty, who's never had a wrestling match. Like, do you suggest for me that Tony slowed down to the point that he's going to be out wrestled, a national champion who stayed active and busy and stayed in shape and trained and all of these things every single day? is going to be out-wrestled by a guy who's never done it. And I present it to you that way because it, it would almost seem like if you had this guy and no matter what great shape he was in, you know, we're calling Patty the Batty, no matter what great shape he's in and he's training and he's doing this professional sport called MMA versus a guy who sat on his ass for 15 years and hasn't even broken a sweat, but he was a national champion wrestler. Like, it seems as though you would still expect the national champion to have an edge over the guy who's simply never done the sport. So I'm just, I'm just asking you, do, if you think that Patty's going to beat him, how do you think he's going to do it? Do you think he's going to outstrike him? Because if you don't, then you believe he's going to outwrestle him. And if I challenge you on that, do you really think that? Hey guys, by the way, I do know enough about MMA that it doesn't work the way I just said it worked. A guy that's never done it can out-wrestle a guy who's won a national championship. I, I, I do understand. I'm not telling you, like, that's guaranteed and that won't happen. I'm just asking... Isn't Tony a much more live dog than we first gave him credit for? And there was some training footage that came out of Tony with David Goggins. A number of fighters didn't like it. RDA was public about that. Went on Twitter. RDA said, hey, Tony, stop. That's not what you need. And I went on Twitter and I asked RDA to elaborate. Why do you say that? And I had the same reaction as RDA, but I, I wanted to hear from the champ himself. Why do you say, to see if it's in line with what I was thinking. I love the workout with David Goggins. I love anything that's hard. I mean, if you're working out in your training with the goal of getting in shape and or burning some calories, getting a weight, working your mind, whatever it is that's really difficult, I would think would be really good. But when you're an older fighter, you do only have so much energy in a day that you can burn. It's not like when you were a little kid and you could go do five. Remember when you used to, to have something to eat and then you want to go jump in the swimming pool and your mom would tell you, no, you got to wait 20 minutes. He's like, what are you talking about? Because as kids, you don't have to wait 20 minutes. You don't have to do anything. You can eat the hamburger while you're in the pool, for goodness sake. It's a thing when you get older. It's not a mother-father thing why your mothers and fathers always told you that. It would be true for them. So the mothers and fathers that tell their kids that didn't do sports and things like that when they were a kid. And they just assume like, well, if I ate, it wouldn't be great if I went and did activity right now. It's very different when you're a kid. You can do five practices. You can do six practices. You get bucked off a horse, jump right back on it. You get bucked off a horse 40 years later, you're going to break your hip. So I know that Tony can only put out so much energy. And if all that energy in a day is going into exercise, I would see where it's a problem, as RDA said. But when I asked RDA to elaborate, he did it. He laid out. And I just wish that he would have, because I saw those same videos. And Joe Rogan commented on him just recently. And Joe did like it. He thought it would be very helpful for Tony. Get him in great shape and the mental exercise that's involved with that. I would definitely see it Joe's way. If I also knew there was another workout in the day, that was doing what they'll be doing in the cage on Saturday. That, that's the part that so many fighters will miss. They will spend a whole day or even a week's sometimes working their butt off and getting in shape, but they will be doing things that is not what they're going to be judged on. 
Like there, there'll be no stair stepper in the octagon. There'll be no tires that need flipped in the octagon. There'll be no contest for how many squats you can do in the octagon, right? So it, it has to be supplemental. And when the supplemental workout begins to replace the sports workout, it's when you have a problem. And I don't have enough information to know that. I know Ferg worked his ass off, and I know he could only do so much activity in a day when he's got to just stop. No matter what I'm at or what I've gotten done, I have to stop. My body won't give any more, or I won't be able to come back tomorrow. And I don't have that information. But I do have enough information to know to seek out David Goggins and to go through some of those training. It means you've still got the eye of the tiger and you still want to win. And if you have a Tony Ferguson that still wants to win, before you dismiss him against Patty the Batty, who's, it's a comeback fight for Patty too. Nobody's discussed that. Patty will be out over a year, over one year, when this fight takes place. That's a comeback fight. I'm not sure that you're as sure that Tony doesn't have a way to go as you keep saying you're sure. David Goggins has been such a terrific addition to the story of Tony versus Patty. Like, people that know Goggins, and Goggins is getting over, man. I mean, Go Goggins is doing really well. He, I think he wrote a book. Or he, he did something, and he had The Rock involved and endorsing it. I mean, Goggins is really a mainstream guy. I see him. I'm on the internet seven days a week. I probably see Goggins four days a week. You know how the algorithm works and, and things come to you? I mean, just to use myself as an example. And I'm the same market as you guys are. Goggins came to a fight and they threw, they threw the camera on him. They got stars everywhere. Mainstream, guys, guys on actual TV. And they passed him up. They put Goggins on in the crowd. You guys went crazy, right? I mean, he was just like one of these things, what he's doing and the way he's doing it. And with who the MMA fan, he was a really natural fit. I tell you this because while you think of him as possibly a Navy SEAL, because a lot of cr credit for that, you for sure think of him as a savage triathlete. Am I right? For sure. It's one of those two things, but that's how you think of him. And you don't give him credit for what a master marketer he is. Do you think it's the Navy SEAL? Do you think that's what it is? That it's got the books and it's got the tapes and it's got the videos that are finding themselves to me? Got them put in the front row? Got them put on our cameras? I mean, but do, do you think it's the Navy SEAL? Because we have other Navy SEALs that come. Do you, do you think it's it's running 30 miles a day? Do you, do you think it's that? Because there's a lot of other people that run 30 miles a day. He did a great job with marketing. He does a great job with storytelling. And even Goggins being with Tony, I, I love this addition. I mean, it, it has really changed the dynamic of this fight. And this fight is looking better and better as each day goes by, but Goggins is on that timeline, and Goggins gets some credit for that. 
I mean, just to remind you, when Tony versus Patty was booked, you guys resisted. And not only did you resist, you can go back and look at headlines that came out. This was really panned. And then it was found out that this was going to be the feature match. This is going to be this is going to be the last fight of the card that did not involve a belt. It outdoes everything else on the card, and that was really resisted. And then became the spoiling of the match because you already knew the outcome, and the odds start getting all out of whack. Not to mention, it's a passing of the torch, but there's no real win for Pat. I mean, like the narrative got really weird. Really weird. I mean, we, we have plenty of fights that do that, but not feature matches on a pay-per-view, right? I mean, this is the feature match aside from title fights. And even including title fights, it's the second feature, but you, you got to do it in this order. I mean, right, it's one of these things, like this fight ended up working and it ended up getting over, and a lot part of that, large part of that is Goggins. But Goggins knows how to tell a story. This wasn't Tony's manager that brought this to your attention. It wasn't Joe Rogan that brought it to your attention. It wasn't Chael that brought it to your attention. It wasn't Tony and his team and his ninjas all over the world that brought it to your attention. It was Goggins. Goggins is the one that had the sense to pull out the camera with Tony in the background, struggling, doing the work. Goggins cuts the promo, lets you know what we're doing. Let you know how much they're doing. I mean, the workouts are, oh, they're so hard. He does, these workouts are really, really quite intense. But it's, it's also fascinating to hear that. Not to mention the visual. You have Goggins where this is what he does, is these just very honorable and very difficult. Savage, I'll use his words, savage workouts. And then you have Tony, who's amongst the hardest workers that our sport has. And... The struggle. And as Goggin lays out what the day looks like, they're closer to the warm-up than they are the end. Which is also this fascinating thing which creates all sorts of stories. I'm RDA was coming out weighing in on it. When you saw Rogan weigh in on it, it had to do with this, but Goggins was telling a story. Like, there was nothing about this that wasn't very good marketing. Goggins could have popped on. He could have done the car like Sean Strickland on the way home. He didn't have a professional camera crew. He was a one-man army. But we didn't have one single word spoken by Tony. But it was worth a thousand words, wasn't it? To see that push and to see that drive... To understand that Tony knows something has to be different. To understand that Tony wants it. To understand he's got the eye of the tiger and he's willing to put in the time. Whether the skills and everything can come together or not. Behind the scenes, he has not sailed it in. He is not just fighting for a check. And that was done because of very good storytelling. And I don't want you to miss that. Because I, I do feel if I would have come to you and said, do you know David Goggins? You go, yeah, sure I do. I said, why do you know David Goggins? You likely would have said Navy SEAL or a combination where you would have worked out, worked in the workouts. But there's plenty of guys that bike too many miles to make sense a day. And there's too many, plenty of guys that get up and run every day. There's one guy that when you see him, you know why he's there and you know what he does. And that's because he did a very masterful job of telling the story. 
And more than any interview you've got or any countdown shows or any posters that you've seen, interviews and whatnot and back and forth with actual Tony, the story that Goggins was able to tell us about Tony with no words is a very interesting thing. And it came at the perfect time. And there's always a risk, right? When you put your name on somebody and you're preparing them, like there, there's a risk. Mike Tyson was very helpful in Francis versus Fury. Just by putting in his name, by saying, I saw him, I trim, I know what he can do, and I'm even predicting him. Like there, there's a level of stake to that. And I think it's added to the fight. I think it was very well done. Pay-per-view. Pay-per-view is one of the more interesting things in our business. And even the business of pay-per-view. Like, if you ever meet an expert in pay-per-view, you've now met a liar. Not... Kind of. It's like meeting an expert in a cryptocurrency. You've now met a liar. You could have a guy that knows everything there is to know from the beginning about crypto. And if he discloses to you up front, man, this thing is changing constantly. There's really no such thing as an expert. Let me tell you what I've learned. All right, now you're dealing with somebody honest. But it's a very much the same thing in pay-per-view. And a lot of guys that become dreamers within the fight business... That is their ultimate landing point. How do I get to pay-per-view? What is it that I do to get to pay-per-view? How do I get in with these organizations, and these companies that have satellites around the world and will broadcast my product on pay-per-view? I mean, it's, it's one of these delicreme sweet spots. And while I share with you that there's not a pay-per-view expert, while I share with you there is so much of a phenomenon around pay-per-view. And it's just really interesting for me. I mean, I mean, this even started like at movie theaters and it used to be called the, yeah, like these closed caption type things. And, and the way that you could, could get a pay-per-view was very much different than, and, and isolated to commercial areas before it changed and became to residential and just to, it became into people's homes. And then it became a, a massive fixture for entertainers that performed on pay-per-view, which really were two things boxing and professional wrestling but within not having anybody that could explain what pay-per-view is we began to hear the term and it began to become associated with certain things and that's where the phenomenon of pay-per-view comes from like for example a boxer that would make go out and make a whole bunch of money i mean you'd hear about it and it would be advertised it would be the biggest purses ever the biggest checks and the most we're exclusive to pay-per-view. So within your mind over a period of time, you very easily and naturally will come to a conclusion about pay-per-view being the delicreme. That's the sweet spot. That's where the money is. That's where the business is. Everything that I hear that does anything meaningfully financially to the point that it goes out there and it gets advertised is always associated with pay-per-view. And even though I don't really know what pay-per-view is, and even though there's not a book out there on pay-per-view, and even though there's no course or no class at any college that a tenured professor teaches on pay-per-view, I still know enough about pay-per-view to know that if you're on it, you do good business. And this really did get extended. It wasn't just the boxers. Vince McMahon would pay 
his headlining act of WrestleMania, which is on pay-per-view, you would get $1 million. It was never discussed. It wasn't part of the contract. Whether you walked first or you walked second, whether you got the one, two, three, or you did the J-O-B, you were going to get a bonus check for $1 million. Now, don't, don't apply that to the main event of a Saturday night's main event, which we should be on NBC. Don't apply that to Raw. Don't apply that to SmackDown. Don't apply it to anything. It is exclusive to Mania and is exclusive to pay-per-view. Now, after a period of time, while perhaps not a guaranteed, even if unspoken, million dollars, the guys that did perform on pay-per-view were getting bonus checks. So as the word gets out, and even though nobody understands pay-per-view, even though nobody's got an expert, you don't have a consultant unless you have a well-dressed liar in the world of pay-per-view. Even if you don't have these things, the phenomenon is now created. And the phenomenon that the media has absorbed, so therefore they won't push back, that the public has absorbed, so therefore they won't ask any questions, and the phenomenon that the athletes themselves have aspired to, even though they really don't know what it is they're talking about, does become exclusive to pay-per-view. To go and do the same thing against the same person for the same rules and get the same outcome at the same weight class in the same venue for the same light that you could make everything the same, it wasn't on pay-per-view, not only will you not get then whatever that participation, whatever that gift that somebody being generous is giving away anyway, you wouldn't even expect it. There'd be no hard feelings. You wouldn't ask for it. If you got a fancy entertainment lawyer that does this all the time, as he's drawing up your contract, as soon as he finds out it's not on pay-per-view, he won't even ask for things that he would demand if it were on pay-per-view. It's a phenomenon. It's a very, very interesting one. And I've attempted to share with you interworkings of the BS that happens within combat sports. I went on Andrew Schultz, massive podcast. I couldn't believe how many people watched. Very successful. But I shared with him that the biggest boxing fight of all time is not something that you're going to get the answer to or revealed to you through a Google search. And he argued with me. He believed you could get that through a Google search. Look, it says right here, this is the top drawing boxes, boxing fight of all time. And I was trying to share, no, the number one boxing fight of all time, what Google is going to tell you, the number one boxing fight of all time is whoever put out the press release and lied about a higher number than a press release had previously lied about. There is no executive of any distribution company who has ever backed up a single claim that Floyd Mayweather has made. Just for example, I bring Floyd into it, Just it's just a name that you would know. And the idea and the phenomenon, I mean, I, I got to tell you, it really is a, a fascinating, wonderful thing, as though there's not revenue within a sport unless it's on pay-per-view, right? I mean, it's to that point with the phenomenon. The Los Angeles Lakers, which is a very successful franchise, the New York Yankees, which I trust that you guys have heard of, have never competed on pay-per-view, ever. 
But the idea that you must be on pay-per-view to succeed as a television pro, like this idea lives on. It's unpenetrable. And when I tell you I'm interested in pay-per-view, like it really is a gift to bring somebody in if you're in the pay-per-view business, which is the hardest thing in the world, and you're only going to learn that through trial and error. And it's not going to be success followed by trophy. You're, you're going to lose and lose and lose. And if you can hang on and learn enough and have enough resources that you can stay, someday you might make it. So the idea that you as a promoter are going to give that to your main event is a very generous, but it's also a very bizarre concept. I mean, it really is a very bizarre thing. I'm just, I'm just going to gift them. I'm going to give them pay-per-view points. And then it becomes where the athletes themselves will start negotiating for it, then they'll get mad at you if you don't give it to them. How dare you not give it to me? Which continues to the phenomenon that that is the great revenue. That is how you make it. Never understanding the example that I gave you about the Lakers or the Yankees, who have never performed on pay-per-view. And I just offer that to you because... Dana White did the Full Send podcast recently, which I thought was the name of Andrew Schultz's podcast, but it's not. Andrew Schultz's podcast is called Flagrant. Dana goes on Full Send, which is hosted by the Nelk Boys, but he beats around the bush while letting you know that these numbers that you're hearing on pay-per-view, 1.3, 1.5, 1.7, these numbers that you are hearing are not accurate. They are not true. And he could have gone into great detail as he knows that. He beat around the bush a little bit. But it, it is somewhat of a fascinating narrative. And the phenomenon and the ideas surrounding pay-per-view, when I, when I tell you there's no expert and that you've never met an expert, it's one of those things that you've got to be very careful because if you get into that space, you are going to bring in consultants. Those consultants are going to come in. They're going to tell you that they understand it. And they could even impress you with a Rolodex. They could get somebody on Time Warner. They could get somebody on DirecTV on the phone and show that they've got relationships. But as far as being an expert within the space, start with this. Tell me what people do wrong. Tell me of all the things that are on pay-per-view that don't make it or all the things that try to get on pay-per-view and never get the shot in the first place. Tell me what their mistake is. Tell me what they're doing wrong. And your consultant and your expert won't be able to do that because he was lying in the first place and he never expected for you to ask him a question in that direction. Now, an expert would be able to tell you very quickly. And it's just, it's a very interesting idea that I, I never cease to enjoy. I never cease to enjoy when I hear the numbers come out that something flopped or something hit it out of the park based on a pay-per-view number that was made up in the first place. And I don't know how important that that is to you. I, I don't know. But I do know to have records is something very prestigious. I know there's a level of prestige, which is why the person is deeming it important to tell the lie in the first place. It just seems as though as we as a community are going to keep track of things and we're going to use the term biggest fights and we're going to celebrate biggest fights that we would use a quantifiable number that could be proved. Your live gate, just for example. And then now, now we can have a debate on what, which one do we want to argue over? Do we want to argue over gross dollars brought in or do we want to bring asses in seats? They're both very meaningful, but over a period of time with inflation, you're going to see where 
one can be distorted and one can't. It's an interesting thing. I like that Dana had pointed out that what you're being told is not true. I hope that you understand. When I tell you the biggest boxing fight of all time is whoever lied in a press release the day after the event stronger than the person who had previously lied in a press release the day after the event. I think that it would smarten you to the business just a little. And I think the phenomenon and the ideas that get brought in with it. Here's where your bonus is going to be, but your bonus will only be here. Which adds to a belief system that that's the only way to actually make it. And that goes back to the late 80s when the term pay-per-view was spoken for the very first time. And it is a really interesting phenomenon. But the myth of people in today's world, as soon as we went to something called digital, and I have no idea why they call the internet digital. I don't know why they don't just call it the internet. I, I don't know where the word digital or streaming. You're a complete nerd if you say those things. But the moment those things came along, pay-per-view as you knew it or as you understood it or as you falsely knew it and falsely understood it changed dramatically. And people that were in the pay-per-view business all of a sudden got a lot looser with who could come in on pay-per-view, what thresholds would be on pay-per-view, what standards were going to be prerequisites to your contract extending to pay-per-view got a lot looser. It got looser because the business had drastically changed. And while you don't know the business, and there's no one that you could meet, there is not an expert out there in pay-per-view. There is one thing that is absolutely true, and you should have been able to connect those on your own, which is that the house always wins. The Octagon, the ultimate proving ground. Have you guys heard that one before? So I've always loved that expression because there's only so many brands in all of the world where the expression and everything that they do is actually encompassed. The mission statement itself is actually encompassed within a marketing slogan. Of, of my lifetime, and this could be because at Nike's headquarters is 22 minutes right behind me. Maybe I'm a homer a little bit, but just do it. Just do it is amongst the great pieces of advice you could ever give somebody on any level of success. Relationship, education, business, any, any way you want to do it. Just do it. It's really great. And I got to put ultimate proving ground right in there. But can we agree? Can, can we agree that it is the ultimate proving ground? Okay, because it's important that you do because everything that we have in this sport is based on an idea and it's based on an opinion of somebody else who we have granted an authority to. So I'll use myself. I got a black belt in jujitsu under Fabiano Scherner. It's a very hard black belt to get. I know I brag about it sometimes. There's plenty of black belts out there. It's a very hard black belt to get. Took me 20 years. And what made me a black belt? What made me a black belt, guys? Because you all accept it. None of you challenged me. What made me a black belt? 
that Fabiano Schoener said I was. That's what it was. I actually got it on a Wednesday night. I did not practice between Tuesday and Wednesday. I was the same guy. There was nothing that had changed. There was no skill I developed. There was, there was nothing different, but he gave it to me on a Wednesday. I am not a black belt on Tuesday. I'm not a, I'm not a black belt Wednesday morning. I went to black belt Wednesday when I, I got in my car to drive to practice, even though I had the same set of skills. I became a black belt because he said so. And we all accept that. Right? Okay. Now, let's take a look at rankings. And there, there's nothing in our sport that is more corrupted from a standpoint of not understanding than the rankings. The rankings were put in place because every other sport on God's earth that was accepted had rankings. It's the same reason we put a Hall of Fame in our sport. It wasn't because we wanted to spend the money or throw the party. It was to be in line with other sports. Now, that's good stuff. Before you think there's a conspiracy, that's good stuff. That makes good sense. But when you have a ranking system, right, the most unfair thing in the world that you'll have to deal with, and you'll have to deal with it all the time, is people judging other people. It, it is so wildly difficult when that happens, because there's so many outside factors that you'd like to pretend you're above, you're above the bias, you're not subjected to. But of course you are. Sure. You ever seen a gymnast do well? Think of any, think of any gymnast you've ever followed anywhere. Have you ever seen a gymnast do well that had bad press, that had bad media, that had been arrested, that was on the front page of TMZ, that fill in the blank, that had done something publicly wrong. Right? It's a very hard thing to do because you're being judged. It's all going to spill over. And it's really important that you understand everything that we have in this sport is largely a judgment of somebody else to get your belt. In my case, black, but to get your belt. Of all the hard work, but what made it official is that somebody else said so. To have your ranking, okay, so my level of skill, per the belt system, per the grassroots hometown where this whole thing starts, is going to be based on my coach, my professor, Fabiano Scherner. Your ranking is going to be determined by 9 a.m. every Tuesday morning and will be posted on a .com. So that, that's a judgment. Fabiano gave me a black belt because he judged my skills. The fighters that have a ranking have their ranking because they have a judgment by this group of where they're placed. And they don't always go together. Francis Ngano, and I realize that's a, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but I, I will bring Francis in. And Francis has something in common with John Jones, which is that neither one of them has a black belt in anything much like my mentor, Randy Couture. Randy, later in life, after three world championships, was given a black belt by Neil Melanson. But I I'm just sharing with you, like, it it's not always your coach that made that decision that will carry out 
into the octagon, which is the final proving ground. See, I'm, I'm attempting to prove for you that there's a hierarchy. Not everybody is equal. Even though you receive your belt in the gym because of somebody's opinion, even though you receive your ranking because of somebody's opinion, you see where they're different and you see where they don't go hand in hand. Why a guy like Israel Adesanya is just another example. But when he became world champion, he had a purple belt under Galvo. I believe that has been elevated to brown. It's still not black. So we, we start to understand that we've got these different judgments within this sport, but that they're not all equal. And when you talk about the octagon and you talk about the final proving ground, your placement on the card is being decided by somebody else. See, this is a final judgment. So you start with your gym and every, everybody accepts it and understands and whatever belt that person says, right? And then you have a ranking, and those don't ever get questioned or challenged. Like, you cannot recall a time as a hardcore fan where anyone's ever looked at a ranking and go, man, this is, this is gar, what, what? You got this guy at number five, he beat number three and four, what the hell happened here? Like, there's, there's never a debate, it's just accepted within our sport, but we do understand that that's a judgment. That number next to your name may or may not be true. Okay, great. But now we have another in the ultimate proving ground. We have card placement. Much like the ranking system, we don't know how that comes about. But we do know that we got a, a sport wrapped around a business or a business wrapped around a sport. And we do know regardless of the color of belt that our hometown coach gave us, and regardless of the number that comes out on a dot com at 9 a.m. every Tuesday morning, the placement on the card is going to be yet another group's opinion. But that opinion is so strong that it's going to make this entire thing possible. Now, I give you this entire diatribe, okay? Because Benny DeRouche came out and said, a win this weekend doesn't do anything for me. Now, Benny DeRouche likes his Uncle Chael, and he trusts his Uncle Chael, but he doesn't listen to his Uncle Chael. My father used to tell me this all the time, you don't listen to him. He's like, Dad, I heard every word you say. When you speak, I close my mouth. I stare right at you. I've heard everything you say. Then he would go through what every parent has to go through. And no, I'm not saying you didn't hear me. I'm saying you didn't listen to me. You didn't believe it. You didn't trust it. You didn't execute. I gave you the answers. There is nothing that we can do on the adult level that is going to trump and exceed what it is you say. And it's not true when we're children. When we're children, we'll do a coloring or we'll do a drawing in class and then we'll hold it up for our classmates or even our teachers. And, uh, this is awful. I didn't do a very good job here. And they will all come around just like you wanted them to and go, oh no, I really like it. You did a really good. You sure understand colors and you stayed in the line. You're very creative. Like it, it works at a certain point, but never in any walk as an adult does it work. Nowhere will you be able to say, oh, well, this isn't very good. And somebody else will come along and go, my God, yes, it is. You're too hard on yourself. Not only does that work, we're going to promote you and we're going to give you a bonus. They will always take you at your word. So 
it's it's a very difficult position when Benny DeRouche comes out and says, I'm not going to gain anything with this win. Now, Benny is very unique. Benny's the only guy in fact, that, that I know of and that I've ever seen that is sincere when he tells you, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not playing the politics, the trash talk. We're in the middle of the entertainment era. I'm the best damn fighter here in the middle of the entertainment era. I didn't come to be an entertainer. I came to be a fighter. Like, he actually means it. And if you don't give him a title shot, he genuinely is not going to have sour grapes. He's, he's not. This guy's a competitor, and we have to respect and appreciate that. But there's still a but. There was a coach somewhere that said he's a black belt. He'd been a black belt for a long time. Long time. I was a purple belt back when Benny, Benny was a black belt. There's a rankings committee that's had him all the way up at the top. As a matter of fact, he had a bout agreement signed with the current champion, Islam Makhlchev. He had a bout agreement signed and went through with the match with the champion prior to that in Charles Oliveira. So the coach has given him a pass. The rankings committee said, boy, you're great. But then he comes to the final proving ground. He is the main event. There is nothing in this sport that trumps your card placement. Nothing. If you want to make it, if you want to make money, if you want to be remembered, if you want to be a contender, everything that you dream of that got you in this in the first place is a little boy with a dream. Either comes true or doesn't come true based on your card placement. It does not matter how great you look. It doesn't matter how great you do. It doesn't matter if you hit a flying armbar triangle into a Superman punch. If you did it and it wasn't on TV, that's just the truth. Does not matter how wonderful your performance was if it wasn't a feature bout. That's just the truth. And I say that because... I can't make Benny's match now matter. I, I can't I can't get him a big bump because he's already said it. I can't, as though he was a third grader, come in over the top as the teacher and say, yes, well, even though you said your drawing's bad, I'm going to put it up here as drawing of the weekend. Everybody's going to say, you, know, you guys have those boards in your classroom and they, and they, they pin it up and you get to you feel proud. I, I don't get to do that as an adult. He's put me in a very difficult position. But... If Benny's match doesn't matter, none of them do. None of them do. Do you understand that? These aren't Chael's rules. This is how this sport works. If Benny, who is the main event and the highest ranked guy on the card, if he doesn't get a bounce from a victory, taking on per rankings alone, a harder opponent than anybody else's, per capita, if you will, in a five-round affair, as the last fight of the night in a feature state like Texas on goddamn ESPN. I mean, if, if he doesn't get a bounce from that, nobody does. I don't care if number 15's fighting number one. If it's an earlier fight than his, it doesn't have the same consequence. I do, I do not care if one guy gets to move up four spots in a ranking and that's impossible for Benny because he's already ranked so high. Nobody can do better and nobody can get more regardless of the performance, regardless of the match, regardless of how the critics pan it after the fact. Nobody under the main event can get more than the main event. So 
I'm only bringing this to you because Benny's statement is not only untrue, it's factually untrue. There has not been a fighter that I, because guys, don't forget, he was on an eight fight win streak when he stubbed his toe against Oliveira. That would have been nine. Nine. I know Matt, Matt Brown had seven. And we've had guys that are real, real close in there. And Chemayev's creeping up on, what, a good five or six in a row. I mean, I know we've had seven a couple of times, and we had an eight. Blahal Mohammed, who had a draw, but it wasn't a lot. He, he's at number eight. I mean, the, the, these are, are record-setting numbers, right? Like, I can't go as far as to tell you that nobody's won eight in a row and not got a title shot. I can't go that far without doing a piece of research. Because there, there might have been one guy. So he could be tied. But tied throughout history and something that started in 1993. I mean, do you, do you understand these arguments? Now, you want a fun stat? You want a fun stat that Benny should be sitting up there yelling from the rooftops? There has never been a fighter to be a main event more times than Benny, who's, again, a main event on Saturday. There has never been a fighter in history who has done more main events and not gotten a title fight. I have the foggiest idea who those guys beat along the way. It doesn't make a bit of difference. It doesn't matter who you submitted in the gym, if anybody. If the coach says you're a black belt, that's how this works. It doesn't matter how screwed up they have your rank. They got Bo Nichols screwed up right now. They had Sean O'Malley, who turned out to be the best fighter in the world, rank number 10 before he goes in there with Peter Yawn. They moved him 10 spots overnight in a controversial match. That's how wrong these things are. Doesn't change anything. That's still the way this game is played. It doesn't matter what the guy is ranked or what he did in his last fight. And frankly, Benny's opponent, who's a study, I believe is on a three-fight streak, but I don't know who those three guys are. I wouldn't know. I don't mean that it's disrespect. I, just, I don't have these things off the top of my head. I don't know what he's ranked off the top of my head. I don't know if he's done five rounds before off the top of my head. I, I don't know in those three-fight streak that he's on. I, I don't know if he knocked him out, submitted him. I don't, I don't know these kinds of things. But nobody does. That's where I tell you that the rankings has been corrupted and misunderstood by the fighters. If Benny's to say that beating this gentleman doesn't elevate him, I mean, but, but if he's to say that, based on what piece of data? Based on what piece of data is he coming to that conclusion? He's coming to, to the ranking? He's going, well, this is how it works? Well, well excuse me, Benny. There, there hasn't been a fighter to be ranked in the top three for three years straight like you have that hasn't gotten a title fight. So why, why would I not look to that piece of data? There has not been a fighter to headline as many events as you and not be given a title fight. There is not a fighter to sign a bout agreement with the now reigning champion, go through some unfortunate bad luck, come back and not get that match. So it, it's one of these really hard spots where I can't come over the top of, of Benny. I just can't. It doesn't work that way. I'd love to. I'd love to treat him like he was a kindergartner and say, no, your drawing's really good. That's not why he said it, by the way. Benny did not come out and say this so that we'd all lift him up. But I'm just sharing for you, the only time that the outcome and result of Benny Darush's matches on Saturday did not elevate and bounce him is when it came out of his mouth.
There has never been a report ever anywhere. This is a challenge. Go Google it. 160 characters on Twitter, now known as X. Anywhere you want to do it, there has never been a report anywhere that says Benny doesn't become eligible for a title fight with a win here. Daniel Cormier, to get his first title shot, fought a gentleman, Pat Cummings, a friend and workout partner of mine, who was a barista two weeks before and had no ranking and he had no record. Daniel did not have to beat a guy in front of him to get that spot. He needed to get a feature match, which he did, a co-main spot, only headlined by Ronda Rousey with Will Smith sitting in the front row. If the outcome of the main event doesn't matter, no match on the card matters. I do not know where this data is coming from. I don't know what stat that Benny's speaking to. I don't know of any other division where you have a guy in the top five, in his case, the top three, for three years and you don't get it. And moreover, there's never been anybody to have this many main events and not be given a title shot. So I'll see Benny's stat. I don't get it. I don't know where it came from. I have no idea who told him that these rankings are the end-all be-all, but if he would like to go and look at the rankings and he would like to see everybody in front of him and it's a very short list, they don't provide for parity. They have already fought with the champion, which happens to be about agreement that he personally has already had. The notion that you don't get anything for a win in a five-round main event against a top 10 ranked guy in one of the premier fight states, which is Texas, on the worldwide leader of ESPN. That is fiction. It is wrong, and Benny should not have said it. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I want to encourage everyone here who listens on Spotify to tag me in your Spotify rap. I know that we're the top podcast for so many of you, and I, for one, want to hear from you guys. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Make sure you're back here on Tuesday. I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.